0: Praise God. The name of this message is How to Keep Your Love Light Lit. Because if your love light is not lit, when Jesus returns, or when you die, you're in dire straits to say the least. And I'm going to talk about what that love light is and how it's critical in these days where a lot of the church is just not in love with the Lord anymore. Um, that we're in trouble and we need to make sure we're right with God. So, uh, and this was, you know, I've been working on a couple different messages and eventually we're going to get that little series on uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Resurrection Sunday is coming up, so I'm trying to juxtapose it correctly and so forth. Uh, but we're doing some topical things and I just really hope you get ministry. If you haven't listened to the last Wednesday's message, I encourage you to check that out. It's one of those messages where I felt I'm preaching through the text of Scripture and I thought this one might not be as invigorating, but I, we're going verse by verse through First Timothy. As, and I couldn't believe how many people were impacted by a message that I thought some people might be, you know, their flesh might wiggle a little bit, you know. Afterwards, it's, I don't know, seven or eight, several different people, I don't know how many came up to me afterwards uh, before our elders meeting and were just really impacted. So I encourage you to check that out last Wednesdays if you didn't make it. But uh, as we look at this message, this is one of the messages that that is burning on my heart and uh, I've worked on this message off and on for some time and uh, just felt, you know, a lot of different scriptures. I probably have way more scriptures than I had used before when I'd worked on this message because when I woke up, you know, poor Lisa, I turn on my light and I write down certain scriptures. I don't know if you caught that last night. No? Okay, good. Praise God. I'll do that a little more often, not worry about it so much. i no, was just kidding. She has, she has those things over her eyes, you know, so it helps, you know. Uh, But anyway, uh, this message I'm I'm excited about because these are scriptures that I think about. You know, sometimes people will say, hey, how do you stay on fire for so many years? Well, a lot of it's right here, what I'm going to share with you. Uh, This is called How to Keep Your Love Light Lit. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew, I'm sorry, Revelation. We'll be in Matthew soon enough. Revelation 19. And right before Jesus returns, the tribulation period has taken place. It's been about seven years, right? The tribulation period, we often refer to the last seven years, which is also called Daniel's 70th week. Without getting all the details of that, there's that last seven-year period where the Antichrist uh, makes a pact uh, with the many nations, and, uh, including Israel, and he'll protect Israel perhaps, or, or just he seems to be a good guy in a way, you know? He rises to power who can make war with him. And in the middle of those, that last week, that last seven years, the first three and a half years probably not being so bad, but in the middle of that seven-year period, 42 months later, he sits himself up in the temple of God claiming to be God. Uh, we've had different emperors do that in the past, not only in Rome but world leaders and so forth. Uh, and he'll claim to be God, and there'll be a huge persecution that breaks out. Jesus says those who are in Jerusalem are flee to flee the mountains right at that point. You know, take off because uh, there'll be a real time of vengeance and so forth. And then there'll be that last 42 months of time, which is called the Great Tribulation Period. And when Jesus says there will be great tribulation in Matthew 24, he's specifically referring to that last three and a half years. We know that because he talks, he says that in regard, in the context of the temple, the Antichrist sitting in the temple, show himself that he's God. And those last years are going to be really horrific, right? And the last days are going to be really horrific. And it's interesting because at the end of that period of time, the church, the bride of Christ, will have been purified. The scriptures tell us that God will bring uh, his people through the fire like silver and gold. Now, we're already purified as far as right with God through faith in Christ, amen? Our standing with God, we've been purified Our sins have been forgiven. We're justified. Justified means to be made right with God. We're forgiven of our sins by the finished work of Christ on the cross who paid for all of our sins, amen, died for us and rose again, conquered the grave. And we put faith in Christ, put our trust in him. The very moment you put your trust in Jesus, you're declared righteous before God, amen. You've passed from death to life. You're born again at that moment as well. And God begins the process of sanctification at that moment as well. So justification almost simultaneous with regeneration. Just a split second or who knows exactly how long. But as soon as you're right with God, then he comes to live in you. Then you're regenerated. So it's not simultaneous, but it's close. And then you're born again. And then as soon as you're born again through faith in Christ, that begins the sanctification process too because the Bible says we're sanctified through the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, many means, uh, but also says we're sanctified through faith. So as soon as you put your faith in Christ, you are putting your trust in him, that means you've repented, you've turned from that word of darkness in your heart to Christ, you've already begun the process of sanctification. But what happens is, even though you're pure before God, as far as your sins go, you're cleansed. Of course, if you fall away, right? you need to repent, and get right with God. Amen. Because and if, if you fall away and you get in back in a state, the Bible says, in James chapter five, verse 9: 20, if, you know, if any of you go astray, a brother he says many of you among the brethren go astray and one converts him back he'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins you need to come back amen so uh you can not come back if you've fallen but this is what's a trip is that as you're growing your sanctification uh even this very moment if you were to die as a christian right now would you go to purgatory or heaven, heaven. you go to heaven absent for the bodies be what heaven. praise lord you're saved right now already amen However, uh, there's something that continues. That's our sanctification, where he makes us more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we continue to be made more and more like Christ because we've had a great fall. Amen? And he's restoring us into his image. It's beautiful. It's a daily process whereby uh, the outward man is perishing, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. Amen? Amen. We're becoming more and more Christ-like. That's normal Christianity. However, uh, even though we are right before God, declared righteous, Amen? Pure in our standing as far as our positional righteousness. You're positionally in Christ. In Christ, there's no condemnation. Amen? How many can say amen? Thank you, Jesus. Amen? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? If you are in Christ, you're abiding in Jesus. If anyone be in Christ, right? It's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Right? Neither height nor depth, principality of power, nor other creative thing is separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ Jesus, you're pure before God as far as your standing, your positional righteousness. But there's also what we call practical righteousness, whereby you become more holy in your life, in the way you live your life. Amen? And those who are positionally righteous continue to trust Jesus through faith. And as you continue to trust him through faith, you become more like Christ. That's practical righteousness, sanctification. So when Jesus returns you'll look way more like him than you did when you first got saved. Amen? Amen. Hopefully each and every one of you can say that. In fact, practical righteousness is very important because if we're not pursuing him through faith to become like him and we're going the opposite direction, then we're in trouble. Because the Bible says pursue holiness and peace. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And by the way, the holiness there is not the positional holiness, is it? Because it's a holiness that's pursued. Pursue peace and holiness. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And a few verses earlier, it says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, his discipline. For as many as I love, he says, I rebuke and chasten. Revelation 3, also Hebrews 12. He rebukes and chastens every child he brings in. And he chastens us, it says. Don't get bitter when it happens. He says in that same chapter, don't be like Esau, who, for, who sold his birthright, right? And was a fornicator. But he says, he chastens us so we will be partakers of his what? Holiness. Then he says to pursue that holiness, for without, no one, without which no one will see the Lord. So if we are living a wicked life when Jesus comes back, he told parable after parable after parable, like coming like a thief, you know, all these different coming, the, the guy who buries his talents, they're all busted, thrown in, in weeping and gnashing of teeth, they're all done, it's over. Separated from him forever, if they're living a wicked life when he returns. Amen. These are very powerful teachings of Jesus. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So right now, if you're trusting Jesus, you're saved, amen? Amen. But if you're truly trusting Jesus and following him right now, you're trusting him. The Bible says faith works through love, Galatians 5, 6. If you have true faith, guess what? It's energized through love. And love is obedient to God, Amen? amen? So if we're truly in love with him and we're truly walking in faith right now, faith works is dead, there'll be evidence that we love Jesus. Amen. Amen? Now, what God does, he puts us through trials so we can be partakers of his holiness. We've talked about that. Trials, God doesn't literally take us to the woodshed and spank us, okay? Not that he can't, okay? I mean, who knows how that always works out, but a lot of times we go through trials. When you go through trials, don't always think you're being spanked, by the way. The Bible says as, as the sparks fly upward, like when you drag, you drag a piece of metal, you know, So man is born under trouble. Amen. It just says in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Just by being in a fallen world among non-believers, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul said, will suffer persecution. Amen. Amen. So that's going to happen because we're believers. Oil and water don't mix. And the world hates Christ. They crucified him. He said, how much more would they hate the servants if they hated me? Amen. So we're going to be persecuted through trials, whether you're disciplined or not. But also God uses those trials often to discipline us, to wake us up, so we, so we basically become less like we were in our fallen state and more like Jesus. Amen? Amen? Well, guess what? The tribulation period, we don't need the tribulation period to be justified. We're justified by grace through faith. Amen? But the great tribulation period at the end will separate the wheat from the chaff. Amen? And among the believers, it'll be a sanctifying process of the ultimate trial and the church will be made ready through that last day's trial there's more believers alive today than almost had been alive in any time throughout all the church history before today if you take all the believers up until like you know the 1950s or so right and you calculate how many there, there are there's probably more living today in the last 60 50 60 years Then everybody that all, I mean, so when the the tribulation starts, think about it, if it would start not too far away, it'd be trying half the church, you know? I don't know the exact numbers, you know? It's kind of crazy when you think about it this way, though. As a church, a lot of churches are going to go through trial. You're going to go through trial whether you go through a tribulation period or not, whether it happens our lifetime or not. But look what happens in Revelation 19. Praise God, the church is ready. Babylon has been judged, is getting judged, and so forth. And there's this praise and worship happening from heaven. And then we read in chapter 19 what happens with regard to the church on earth, verses 7 through 9. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has what? Made herself ready. ready. She's made herself ready. What does a bride do when she's getting ready for her wedding day? She gets ready. If she sees a bunch of spots on her dress, what does she do with them? Oh, no big deal. So there's some ink spots. No, she cleans them, right? The Bible says those who have this hope of Christ's return, 1 John 3, 1 through 3, purify themselves even as he is pure. So as we wait for his return, we're the bride of Christ, metaphorically speaking. We purify ourselves, we wash ourselves in the blood. So our standing is right with God. Amen. But we also repent of sins as he shines light on dark areas of our life that need to be repented of. Amen. So we be more like Christ and walk in the light as he's the light. Amen. Amen. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now it's important because a few verses later in verse 11, guess what you see? Jesus Christ coming back with the armies of heaven in Revelation chapter 19 verse 11. Right with many diadems, which are diademic in the Greek, many royal crowns. Not Stephanos, which are vic- the, the victor's crown, but he has these di- he's the king of kings, it says. They're lord of lords with many crowns. And it says, his bride has made herself ready for his return. Verse, verse 8. It was given to her to clothe herself in what? Fine linen. fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, we're already clothed in white before Jesus as far as our standing goes. Amen? But there are also rewards. I believe this pertains to the resurrection. And I believe people will be, Scripture say rewarded according to their works. And I believe your resurrected body will be, and I believe I can show that through Scripture, uh, your resurrected body, there's different degrees of of, uh, resurrections. And I believe, you know, it might be the difference between driving a Volkswagen Bug and a, and, a, and a Ferrari body. I don't know how that works exactly. I don't know how God does it, but the, somehow, how you're presented in eternity has a lot to do with what you've done for the Lord here. Um, I could be wrong on that. I'm not sure. It's just an opinion based on different scriptures I've seen that, that uh, we have, but the fine land of the saints, that's how they appear in glory, right? Uh, pertains to what they've done and being ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, "Right, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. So the bride is being prepared to be with Christ. And the letters to the churches earlier and this is what's a trip. Some people say, oh, well, the church really isn't really in the book of Revelation. Really? Well, you know, no, she's taken out before the tribulation starts. Really? We just saw the church is finally made ready for Christ's coming at the end of the tribulation period, didn't we? Pretty clear. Amen? In fact, right after that, no, 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 there was, the resurrection happened right before the tribulation period. Oh, really? Show me where. Hmm. Show me where. Well, uh, Revelation... Uh, Oh, chapter 4, John is called up to, to see the, 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 uh, the tribulation take place. Ah, uh, He's the church, so that's us going up. Don't stretch things, man. Give me clear scripture. In fact, if John is a picture of the church, guess what? Then we go up, then we come back down. Then we go up, come back down, because he's back and forth throughout the tribulation period. That's silly. Plus, by the way, the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first, amen, at the rapture. And then those who are alive and remain, we caught up to meet them in the air, amen? Amen. How come right after Jesus comes in Revelation 19, then it goes on to describe in chapter 20, those who didn't take the mark of the beast, who refused to take the mark of the beast. It says, this is the first resurrection. How is that the first resurrection if one happened seven years earlier? Makes no sense, right? Right? First resurrections at the end of the tribulation when Christ returns. Just like the church had taught for 1,800 years before the new doctrine that we will escape the time of tribulation emerged. And I've really diverged from my notes. So (laughs) let's get back uh, to the main point. Now go to Revelation chapter 2 because here's where we need to make sure that we stay in love with the Lord because the Bible tells us that there's going to be intense persecution in the church. And in Revelation 14... Or 13, when the mark of the beast comes out, and in Revelation 14, when it talks about the punishment for those who take the mark. In both places, it calls for perseverance on the part of the saints. Who are the saints? Well, they're the tribulation saints after the bride's taken. No, we just saw the bride was there to the very end. It says the good works of the bride are the righteous acts of the saints. We just read it. That's the church. And it calls for perseverance on the part of the saints. That they keep their faith in Jesus. They remain loyal to Jesus and obey his commandments. Like, don't take the mark of the beast. That's a commandment. Amen? So the bride is made up of the corporate body of Christ. The bride's the bride with you or without you. The bride is those people that belong to him and have been washed in the blood of Jesus. Amen? But watch Revelation 2. We need to make sure that we are in love with the Lord. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, it says the angel of the church in Ephesus, right, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. There's these seven lampstands. There's the stars. It says the stars represent the churches in 1, 19, and 20. And Jesus walks amidst these seven lampstands, and these seven lampstands represent the seven churches. You know, church of Smyrna and Ephesus Philadelphia, Laodicea and Thyatira, and, and Sophosardis, all these churches. And all these churches represent the church at large because at the end of each church, in the warnings and promises that are given, there's no warning, by the way, given to, and I should say there's no chastening that's brought upon the Church of Smyrna and Philadelphia. The two churches are the only two churches that are told not to, they are not told to repent. The other churches need to repent in areas. But at the end of each church, you hear this refrain. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. So that means us, Blessed Hope, and all the other churches are supposed to hear what the Lord's saying to those churches so we can learn. Amen. So let's learn. Let's look at chapter 2. And we're not going to spend a lot of time in Revelation uh, 2, but I want to just jump off from this to show you what the end looks like so we understand because the Bible says, Without a vision, my people perish. Amen. Amen. Without a prophetic vision, one translation says, My people go astray. And one way you want, to, you want to train up your children, right? Train them about what's coming up, man. Train them about how this is what the Bible says about the future. And ultimately, you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life for all eternity. So they learn to the fear of the Lord. And they learn to love God. But here we, here we read in verse 2. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. And that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put the, uh, to the test those who call themselves apostles. And they are not. And you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Wow. This church gets an A plus so far, it seems. At least close, right? If you just stop the grade right there. Good job. In fact, you know what? This church just shines compared to the church today. You know, you've tested those, you know, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which he says he also hates, you know, Uh, look at verse 6, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, which many of the church fathers believed was one of the earliest Gnostic groups, uh, which you don't have time to get into, you've tested those who say they're apostles or not and have found them liars, that's King James, that's how I memorize a lot of the book of Revelation, so they've tested those who say they're apostles or not, you've found them liars. You hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, right? You persevere, right? You've done all these wonderful things. That's great. Well, a lot of church you can't say that about today, right? Now a lot of the church is just so messed up. I mean, if you're not paying attention to what's going on out there, the, 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 one of those radical movements that's spreading throughout the globe right now is the whole New Apostolic Reformation where these guys, many of them, claim to be apostles. And they believe they should have authority over our church and every other church. And that... They are the army of God and they're doing all these radical miracles for God and they're leading this army so we can take dominion. We're Joel's army, right? And we're going to execute people and and we're going to set up the kingdom of God on earth before Jesus comes back. We're going to take dominion over the seven spheres of influence, the seven mountains. Military, we're going to take education, we're going to take religion, we're going to take economy, business and we're going to rule the world, you know? A lot like some of Christian nationalism holds to that as well. Dominion. Reconstructionism, Kingdom Now. It's crazy what's going on right now. Okay. They got some big problems, though, because their main leaders are, are pedophiles, adulterers, often, you know. Uh, we just did a show uh, you can check out on our Good Fight podcast where we go through Mike Bickle, who's leading the... You ever heard of the, uh, IHOP? What's IHOP? What's pancakes have to do with this? No. <laughs> International, International House of Prayer, it's called. It's all over the earth right now. And, oh, and they're all over because 24-7 prayer, you know? You really need to check our, 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 if you haven't heard that. Anybody hear that, that we did last week? Raise your hand if you heard that. Wow, we got so many resources. We got literally over a million people, guys. What, the last month, Chad? I think it was like uh, 28 days we had a million people watch our our videos. It's awesome. But here I, raise your hand if you heard this. One, two, three, four, five. But we got over a million people watching our videos, and praise God. And we praise God for that because we, uh, we try to put a salvation call in every video we've done. I've been doing that since they sold their souls for rock and roll. So most of what they listen to, they're going to hear salvation call. And, you know, we always talk about, you know, Chad always says, you know how long you have, how many people you'd have to witness to and how long it would take to witness to a million people? <laughs> well, if we could do that in a month, it's a good thing, amen? And that's part of our ministry at Blessed Hope. is a good fight. But it's interesting Mike Bickle, he's one of the leaders of this, this new apostolic reformation. And his two main prophets, called the Kansas City Prophets, said this before, these are guys that go way back and are part of this dominionist movement of taking over the earth for Christ. One was put down because of having homosexual relations with young men. He's an old guy. Now he's dead. That was, that was Paul Cain, who was hanging out with William Branham. And his group, out of his group, came the manifest sons of God that the, that we gonna be. Manifested. Some of them were teaching it so radically that we're gonna be manifested as children of God on Earth before Jesus comes back. We'll be in resurrected bodies, you know, kind of things like we could point at tanks and they'll melt, and just stupid stuff. But William Branham, you heard of Bethel? You know Bethel music. We don't encourage it. We don't play it. We don't want to give them money. We have to pay money, by the way, when you play people's songs. And we don't want to get people into them that end up getting into their theology, because especially because Bill Johnson, who heads up Bethel, church up north, you know, I should be pointing that way, I guess, Frisco area, toward, toward Frisco. He says, we use our music to import our doctrines and, or export our doctrines. He says that. Yeah, I know you do. But Bill Johnson, Chris Voliton, who's his associate pastor, says, I have the mantle of William Branham on me, and it's so strong, i got to impart it to the rest of the church. William Branham, we play a clip of him saying, the trinity is of the devil! (laughs) This is not a man of God. Anyway, Paul Cain, who ran with William Branham, boom. This is not the church being purified. See, the whole 24-7 prayer deal, these prayer rooms that are everywhere, where they have little miracle rooms where you go and they prophesy over you and stuff, and It's all charismania. And I say that as a continuationist, one that believes in the power of God in the last days. Not as a cessationist. I, I believe exactly what Jesus said. During the tribulation period, he said, don't premeditate what you'll speak. The Holy Spirit will give you utterance and speak through you at that time. I believe that 100%. I believe there'll be two witnesses, Revelation chapter 11, during the tribulation period, who will prophesy for 1260 days. Don't tell me the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. However, guess what? There's always a counterfeit to the reality. And this IHOP movement is not pure, guys. You look at the root, you look at the fruit. And then Mike Bickle, who has been in the news, secular news all over the place right now because of what's going on. His main prophet, Paul Cain, his other main prophet, who's really the main prophet behind IHOP, named Bob Jones. Another old guy, and he called them his prophets, and he got underneath the vineyard umbrella and spread throughout the vineyards, and the vineyards split from Calvary Chapel because they want to focus more on miracles than the Word of God. And more on experiences. And when you start putting miracles, Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a miracle, a sign. Simon the sorcerer wanted to buy the Holy Spirit because he wanted power. Right. I'm not saying everybody caught up in those movements is that way. I believe there's a lot of innocent people that just went to some of these fellowships and they don't know the difference. We need to pray for them. We need to love them, okay? Okay. My heart breaks for them, okay, because they're caught up in a lot of false, uh, of false movement. That is not, these guys at the top, it's not like they've just fallen. Some say, well, yeah, we just got to pray for our fallen brothers. No, a lot of these guys just never were walking with Jesus or they fell away when they were very young in the Lord. When you look at their history. But Bob Jones, this is not in my notes either, but thankfully I only have like nine pages today, you know, <laughs> instead of 19 or 29. But uh, this stuff's been in my heart, though, and I've wept over it more than once now. Is uh, Bob Jones told Bickle, and Bickle plays like a five minute interview he has with the prophet. And this guy's made so many false prophecies, you know. And they teach, like, even Mike Bickle says, We are, you know, we're becoming little gods, you know, and as gods, we're going to rule the earth. No, we're not going to rule the earth as gods. But it's interesting because in their conversation, well, what happens is Bickle says that Bob Jones, told me, prophesied that God's going to send you the divine blueprint for your ministry on Monday. And some mysterious man shows up the following Monday and brings an envelope, supposed suppose like five pages long. And I've read some of it online. And he says that you're supposed to establish these 24-7 hour prayer rooms. That came from Bob Jones. And Bob Jones, by the way, Bickle says, I only go by 20% of his prophecies because about the other 80%, they could be totally wrong because he's made a lot of false prophecies, Bob Jones. You just get one prophecy wrong, you're a false prophet. The Old Testament, they stone you to death, just one prophecy wrong. And the New Testament doesn't say, oh, you only need to get 80% wrong. You have to get 81% wrong or something like that. It doesn't say anything like that. By the way, Paul Cain was practicing homosexual and he was confronted. And he wanted restoration, but they said, you got to quit chasing men, young men around. And he was having a hard time stopping doing that, I guess. That came from Rick Joyner, who's one of these apostles in this false movement, saying, yeah, he wasn't repenting. Well, Bob Jones, the other one that prophesied the IHOP movement, he's the guy I mentioned before. He would take girls, more than one, at least two, that came out and he acknowledged it, and have them in the office and say, you need to stand up because the Holy Spirit needs to inspect you and you need to get totally stark naked in front of me. Did that with different girls. Okay? Guys, these are not prayer warriors. These are predators. Okay? And I always say, you either pray for children and women or you'll pray on them. Okay? You're either protector of women or you're a predator. And we're supposed to treat our sisters in the Lord with incredible love. We're looking at that at First Timothy. We went through chapter 5, the first couple of verses, where it says to treat the younger sisters as your sisters. Amen? In all purity. Amen? How do you treat your sister? Right. With purity. In, in all purity, he says. Well, it's real, it's, So what's come out recently is Mike Bickle, who's the spearhead of this entire movement, even though Bob Jones is a prophet, Different ladies have finally come out. Some of them have come out before, but they were censored. But now it's become an avalanche where different gals have come out, Twenty-one year, or 19-year-old saying it started when I was 19, and he was 42 years old. And he started coming after me, and, and uh, she said that he started having relations with me and sexual relations. And he, she said that uh, he would tell me that his wife was going to die young So that's how he justified it, because there was a prophecy that I guess he said came from his wife, that she would die young. So that made it okay. And she said, and this one's been, come out as reality, you know, uh, that he would pay for my apartment every monthly payment. He would uh, give me, I had the keys to his office, and we did things in the office, the church, everywhere. A 15-year-old came out. Well, when she, she says when she was 15, a similar thing happened. Not going to all those details. Another one, of 14, when she was 14, Okay, a gal by the name of Tammy, Tammy Woods, came out and uh, Mike Bickle, by the way, tried to, he contacted her before she came public with everything. And he got, a lot of people said that was wrong of you to contact her knowing she was coming out. He goes, oh, no, I just wanted to see if I could say some th- certain things that wouldn't really hurt her feelings. You know? And she came out, and she said, when I was 14 years old, I was his babysitter for, for him and his wife, babysitting his sons. And then he took me in a room and started kissing on me. And that started a relationship that lasted quite a while. And this is a 14-year-old girl, guys. This is a leader of IHOP, International House of Praise. And I hate to talk about these things, but we need to. Because there's a huge deception in the church, not with just these guys, but how people are perceiving the church. This is one of the leaders of the new, or the new apostolic reformation. These prophets I'm talking about. And she said, He told me that his wife was going to die young and that I could be like a mother to his children. I'm telling a 14 year old girl this that's demonic manipulation. Okay? Uh, it's all over the place, you guys. Lonnie Frisbee. He helped start. He's the catalyst, the spiritual catalyst of what became the Vineyard Movement, where the focus was on miracles and then the laughing revival, Toronto Vineyard, and everybody's barking and laughing and doing these strange things. It's a different spirit, you guys. And why I mention this is because the Body of Christ needs to wake up. Right. Now IHOP has cut off Mike Bickle, totally. So they recognize first there was a tr- some were involved in a cover up. Kept trying to cover it up. Mike Bickle was, you know, there were whispers of judgment on those who are going to come against my ministry right before it all came out. And what's interesting about this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it warns the bride that we're supposed to be holy, we're supposed to be ready. And Paul says that I've sought to present you as a chaste virgin before the Father. A chaste virgin before Jesus. He says, But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through a subtlety that your minds would be corrupted into believing in a different Jesus, to believing in a different gospel, and to receiving a different spirit. And we do a thing on the Jesus Revolution and we believe, we love Calvary chapels, a lot of Calvary chapels that fear and love the Lord. And with Lonnie Frisbee, Chuck Smith sent him on his way. He came back for a while, sent him on his way again. Because Lonnie Frisbee, man, who's the main miracle worker in that movie, you know, he was sent off, but he got involved in all these false miracles. He's the one who says, he says he was into Crowley and stuff like that. And he's just practicing magic. And he used his cloak and go like this to make people fall, right? Do all these strange things? And he said he took Edgar Casey. He's one of the top psychics of the past. He said I learned from Edgar Casey's works. I got Wick, witch's hazel and mix it with an oil to make my own special anointing oil. And I got a book on John Wimber that's pro John Wimber that I ordered some time ago. That's all. It's pro Vineyard, but it says Lonnie says that he was able to cause people to fall down supernaturally before he became a Christian. And while he's a professing Christian, his wife ends up divorcing him because he's a practicing homosexual, died of AIDS. You guys, this is a counterfeit revival. So when people look at uh, Chris Volatin, the associate pastor under Bill Johnson, up I should point that way again, north, northern California, uh, he, he said, we got to make sure we don't, you know, we're making it too hard for these guys to, Be accountable and come out because the body of Christ, we should make sure we don't shame these guys too much. They're doing these things. Shame them too much? Hiding these things for decades? If you're unrepentant, right, and refusing to come clean on this, that's not true repentance. So if Bickle moves from one woman to another, to another, right, and then Paul Cain or, you know, Bob Jones, then they're lifted back up, right? I mean, I don't know if we could, probably it's too much to ask, but I wasn't planning on doing this, but, you know, it happens over and over again, guys. And when they're habitually doing these things, this is not Christianity. But what people do is they look to this movement and they say, "Ah, oh, this is revival. This is the body, this is Christianity. But their whole mandate for many of them is taking over the earth for Christ. It's a wrong eschatological paradigm that's steering people away from the prophetic scriptures Setting people up for the Antichrist because their top one of their top prophets, Johnny Enlow, right? He wrote the Seven Mountain Prophecy, which is on the front. I can't tell you how many people endorse it, you know, from Bill Johnson and uh, C. Peter Wagner, a professor at a Fuller from years ago, who coined NAR, New Apostolic Reformation. You guys. These guys are all saying this guy. He, I, think, I think Wagner says this is the main guy behind the prophecy of the seven mountain mandate. And guess what? He says there'll be a war in the body of Christ. And those of us who use discernment, who test signs and wonders, who, who critique this movement, we're the bad guys. We're the Antichrist, And we'll be killed in the end. See what they're doing? They're inverting everything. It's like getting written, the end times being written from Satan's perspective, okay? And we're the enemy, And the Muslims, a lot of them will be part of us in the end. Yeah, they will. But you won't be the church. You're not the church. It's crazy what's going on. I wish I had time to break down those quotes. I've quoted them before at a uh, conference I did last year. I I was invited by, you know, Keith and Mary. And we love you, Keith and Mary, if you're listening right now. They just are such an awesome group. Them and their their family and their brothers and sisters out there in New York. And they watch a lot lot of. They have a live stream group to a degree, not official, but. Uh, and turning a lot of people on the truth, turning a lot of people out of the darkness, and hope they keep up the good work. We all need to be doing the good work, amen? amen. So the, there's crazy things going on, but when you have a, the bride claiming to be the bride, and we're the, we're, the, we're, leading the, we're the apostles leading the bride, and so many of their main leaders are pedophiles and homosexuals and adulterers, practicing often, we need to, we need to run. You know, and uh, not, not bathe ourselves and say, oh, yeah. So I can't even endorse IHOP. I never really did. I never did. I always warned people, nope. I know what these guys, they, they make false prophecies and everything else. Now, all this junk has been coming out of late more than ever, vindicating what we've been warning about for years and years and years. My first messages when I became a pastor at Blessed Oak Chapel, the first series I did was three messages on kingdom dominionism. And then it seemed like it was dying off a little bit. I'm like, it's not dying because I know it's a counterfeit movement. Now it's exploding this last several years. But guys, we need to make sure that as a bride of Christ, Paul warns that we are not deceived into receiving a different spirit. So they'll say things, don't pray to the Father in heaven. Look to the within and, and pray to the God within you. They're steering people away from Jesus often to a different spirit. And I'm encouraging you right now, In the name of the Lord, that you recognize how serious this is, that you stay in the word. Because he goes on to say, uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, when he warns about this deception, he warns very sternly, Paul says, for they are false apostles, transforming themselves into ministers of righteousness. And it's no wonder, King James, no marvel, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his ministers transformed themselves into ministers of righteousness and the end will be according to their works. Remember Jesus says you'll know false prophets by their fruit. I look at their fruit, I see false prophecies, and I see wicked behavior. The very two things that Paul says for the true minister of God to watch out for. Watch your life, he says, Paul says, and your doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.16. And so doing, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. Amen. So it's important that we adhere to God's word. But notice here. You can dot your eyes. You can Christ your theological T's. You can say, yes, I'm going to make sure I, I live a holy life. I'm going to make sure that I don't uh, follow false teaching, like the church of Ephesus was doing. But look at what he goes on to say in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have what? You, left you have left your first love. They left their first love. When they first came to Christ, they were in love with Jesus. They were blown away about what he did for them on the cross and how much he loved them and how he came to them and revealed himself to them and, and saved them from hell and, and death and hell, amen? And gave them his beautiful promises and his spirit. And They were in love, but they left their first love at Ephesus. So you can say, well, praise God. Yes, I'm glad I see that the tribulation comes before the rapture, so I'm not deceived. Yes, I'm glad I see that you, have to, I, I, that you have to persevere. Yes, I'm glad I see uh, that yeah, the gifts of the power of God are still in the end times, but you've got to be very careful because there's a lot of deception. You can say, I'm glad I know all these things. But if you know the truth and you don't walk in it, you don't pursue Jesus, then you're not, anything, you're not any better than the Pharisees, honestly. Because you can have the truth up here, but if you don't have a relationship with God in your heart, you're not walking with Jesus and loving him for who he is, and it's just a bunch of head knowledge, I love you. I say these things because I love you. If that's you, you, you get on your knees and say, God, give me a love for you. Give me a love for Jesus. Because if it happened early in the church history, at the end of the first century, you know, 60 years or so uh, from when Jesus died for our sins, this was written, and the church is already losing their love for him. How much more could it happen in the end of days? Especially when you think of the scriptures, when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, think about this, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus made it very clear that the last days, did he say a few people fall away? Some will fall away or many will fall away? Many will fall away. And I've looked it up in the Greek, it literally says uh, the many. There's a definite arc before many. Like the many, like the, the majority perhaps, will fall away. Because he said, the love of many will grow cold. He says, lawlessness will increase. Lawlessness is increasing. Would we all agree to that? I mean, you can, go to, you can rip off a place in California, as long as it's not over 500 bucks, you're okay. They'll just give you a misdemeanor. You do it over and over again. Oh, you get caught? Oh, you get a misdemeanor. Slap in the hand. It's crazy. And it's getting a lot of people ticked off. A lot of people are getting angry because he says, lawlessness will increase, but the love of many will grow cold. That's happening in the church. People are getting more political and getting more about when you do these things politically than they are focusing on the gospel and, and, and preaching Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen? Well, Jesus said these things would happen. He said, many will fall away. And the love of many would grow cold. Keep your love light lit. Their love light went out in the first century at Ephesus. Keep your love light lit. And he said, many will fall away. And they said in verse 13, a couple verses later, he said, they will be hated for all, uh, before verse 13 even, you'll be hated by all nations because of my name, Jesus said. He'll put you to death. And then in verse 13, he says, He that endures the end will be saved. You have to persevere. Don't let your love grow cold. Don't get caught up in the lawlessness that increases. And if you're not, you say, well, I'm not. and You're dotting, dotting my eyes across feet. I'm walking righteously. But you're, you get just full of hatred toward people. You're not praying for people anymore. That's exactly what Satan wants in your life. Don't let that happen. Persevere. And then it's, look what he goes on to say. Therefore, verse 5, remember from where you have fallen. Remember where you were before you fell, your relationship with Jesus, how sweet it was. And repent, meaning metanoia, have a change of heart, a change of mind, change of direction, turn back to Jesus. And do the deeds you did at first, amen? When you first came to Jesus, when you could say, hey, I want you to living for him. Amen. Do those things again. Or else I will what? Or else I'm coming to you, And will what? Remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. The only reason the lampstand is a lamp is because Jesus is there, right? He's the light of the world, amen? And we're we're called not to hide our lamps under a bushel, but put them out. And that means our relationship with Jesus. Put that out, man. But guess what? They're barely hanging on. He's walking in the midst of lampstands. They're in his presence. If he removes the lampstand away, from his presence, it's separated from him. That's serious stuff. He says at the very end, unless you repent. You have to repent. So if you've left your first love, you've got to repent, guys. You've got to repent. You've got to get back to Jesus. Yet this you do have, he says, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I believe he reiterates that because he wants to let them know that's important. Don't act like it's not important to hate that which is evil. Okay? In verse 7, he says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit illumines the lamp with Jesus. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. How many want to eat from the tree of life? Which is the paradise of God. That's a picture of eternal life. Now back to Matthew 24, where the love of many grows cold. Not long after that, at the end of that, chapter 25, which is just a chapter break, it's called, you know, uh, the Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives. He gave it there amongst the olive trees, the Garden of Gethsemane in that area. Same deal. He gives them a bunch of parables, by the way, and warnings about being ready. But one of them is in regard to the ten bridesmaids. Do you remember that? What did they all have in common? They're all set out waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. Amen? They all fell asleep. He comes at midnight. So being asleep there isn't, sometimes being asleep spiritually is, spiritually would be a bad thing, right? But this seems to be a picture of them being asleep because it's late. But there's a problem. The cry of the bridegroom they hear, and they all rise, they wake up, right, from their slumber. And all ten of them have had oil, but five of them are running out of their oil, they say. And what do they do? They beseech the other five, give us oil, so we too can have light in our lamps. Amen? And what do they say? They say, no, because if we give you our oil, we may not have enough ourselves. You need to go to the stores and buy oil. And as they're going out to find oil, the bridegroom comes and only the five. And by the way, I believe these 10 bridesmaids, at this point, they represent the church. And only five, half. I'm not saying Jesus meant to give a line of demarcation that half the church would fall away. I don't know exactly, but I do know it shows with the many earlier that a lot of people will fall away. And five are ready and they go in to the wedding feast. Then when the other five come, what, what happens? The door is shut and they knock. And he says, I don't know you. He doesn't say to them, like he says the false prophets, I never knew you. He says to them, I don't know you. Depart from me, right? And that's that's really interesting because in the scripture we know what the lamp refers to. What's the lamp? Psalm 119, verse 105. The lamp itself. Thy word is a lamp under my feet, a light under my path. Amen. It's the word of God. Who illumines the word of God? The Holy Spirit, amen. He inspires the Word of God, but he also illumines it as we read it. That's why you need to say, Father, help me understand your Word. Show me wonderful things from your Word. Amen. And it's interesting because when you see, what does the oil symbolize? The The lamp is the Word. The oil is the Holy Spirit. In fact, we see the oil uh, many times, and I've given other references, but I thought, I've talked about this before with references. These are different references I usually give. In fact, when King Saul had the Holy Spirit, he was anointed with oil. He had the Holy Spirit. He rebelled against God. He continued to harden his heart. Then the Holy Spirit abandoned him. Then what was happened when Samuel, uh, well, I'm sorry, when David was anointed, what happened? He's anointed by oil. Listen to 1 Samuel 16, 13. It says, Then Saul, uh, I'm sorry, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. So the Holy Spirit anointing him as king was symbolic of the oil, was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. A picture of the Holy Spirit. In fact, prophets were anointed, priests were anointed, kings were anointed with oil. All is a depiction of the Holy Spirit using them. But Jesus, by the way, is the priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. He is the prophet that was to come. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. He's all of those in one, which is really beautiful. And we read in Luke chapter 4, verse 15. By the way, Jesus Christ, we, we talk about Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name, guys. Amen. Christ means, it's from Mashiach in the Old Testament, Messiah. Uh, uh, you know, we say, of Mashiach, it means anointed one. And he's been anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, he's God, he's become flesh, but he's also fulfilling those roles. In Luke 4, 16, when Jesus comes, He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's quoting from Isaiah 61. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim uh, that captives will be released and that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free. In Acts 10.38 it says, How God uh, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And by the way, Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Amen. He baptizes us with fire in the Spirit. When we come to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. When he rose from the dead, he breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were gathered together and God filled them with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we've, been, we've received the anointing from God. So now we have an anointing from the Lord. In fact, in 1 John, we read about this anointing of the Holy Spirit. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and verse 27, he says, John says, you have an anointing, okay, from the Holy One. That's from Jesus. He's the Holy One of Israel. You have an anointing from the Holy One. The anointing which you receive from him is, abides in you. His anointing teaches you about all things. Isn't that awesome? So we have the Holy Spirit. Amen? We are lamps. We have the Word of God in us. Amen? But guess what? As we live our days, we can see what's going on in everything, but our hearts can grow cold, We can leave our first love. This is very, very important because they wake up and guess what? (laughs) We need oil. We're running out of oil. Saul lost the Holy Spirit. David, when he was sitting with Bathsheba committing adultery, he finally comes to repentance almost a year later or so. He says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Remember that? Cast me not away from thy presence. In Hebrews chapter 6, it speaks of those who had been born again after having received the Holy Spirit. They again turn away from Christ and crucify him afresh. And Hebrews 10 speaks of how they insulted the Spirit of grace and trampled foot the blood by which they had been sanctified. So as believers, we have to make sure that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Every single believer here has grieved the Holy Spirit, including myself, too many times, breaking his heart but he abides with us. He's patient with us. He loves us. He yearns to have us. And James chapter 4, says the spirit that he's caused to reside in us jealously yearns to own us fully. He owns us, but to to have us fully yielded to him. And because we're fallen and we kick against the goads at times, we we don't pick up our cross the way we ought. We grieve him. That's serious stuff. But he's patient with you. But if you get to the point where you harden your heart and you turn away from God and you rebel, there comes a time where you will never come back perhaps because you'll be hardened your heart so much that you don't even remember you were saved from your past sins. Second Peter chapter 1 warns about that. You forget that you were cleansed from your past sins. You can harden your heart. Don't let that happen. Stay in the word, amen? Stay in prayer. Stay close to Jesus. First of all, if you're not saved, make sure you've received Jesus. Make sure you've opened up His Word. When I first got saved, I was praying for my family and my friends, and one by one, by the grace of God, because it doesn't usually happen this way for people, but I will see my three best friends come to Christ. I will see everybody in my family eventually come to Christ. My dad was the longest holdout. Thankfully, he came before he died. You know, and you guys know. All my family members, they've served here for years and years and years. Some of them moved to Idaho with the Blessed Hope over there because they wanted out of California, you know. I like being on the front lines, by the way. And I like the beautiful mountains, too. Shh, okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, but it's interesting because I was praying for my friends and I got a phone call from Dave Nelson, one of my closest friends growing up. God answered my prayer, man. It's like, Joe, I had a crazy dream. You got to tell me what happened. He goes, I don't know what it is. And uh, he said that Jesus came back in his dream, and he had no face. It was just, <sighs> I knew it was him, though, in my dream. It was Jesus. And I was so not right with God. And I started driving. To, we had Christian bookstores back then before Amazon. They used to be these things called Christian bookstores, right, for you younger people, right? He goes, and I started driving all over these Christian bookstores to try to find a Bible because I knew I had to have a Bible. And then it was too late. And it was over. It was too late. I go, Dave, that sounds a lot like Matthew chapter 25 and I went to the text and shared the text with him he goes wow I go God's telling you to get right before it's too late amen and praise God Dave got right with the Lord you know he was here at Blessed Hope for years uh, and that was before the church started and then he moved up to Fraser Park area and then he went on to be with the Lord sometime later but it's amazing because the Lord wants us to make sure we're ready go to Luke chapter 12 Luke chapter 12 And by the way, if you go, you say, well, I don't need to go look at that podcast now, Joe, because you kind of talked about it already, what you guys talked about there. No, we play clip after clip. So just go to Good Fight Ministries. Just go to YouTube, type in Good Fight Ministries, and then look for the podcast on the New Apostolic Reformation and Mike Bickle. You should just look for Mike Bickle because that's a big thing going on right now. Look what Jesus says in verse 31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Verse 32. But do not be afraid, little flock. He's talking to Christians, amen, the sheep. Don't be afraid, little flock. It, uh, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom, right? Believe look at verse 35. Be dressed in readiness and keep your what? Lamps lit. Keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting. Keep your love light lit, bro. Brothers and sisters, be dressed in readiness. Meaning be right, make sure you're... You're, you're cleansed by, from your sins, you'll get spots all over you because you're in sin, and keep your li- lamps lit. Be men who are like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves uh, whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will gird himself to serve that's amazing, and have them recline at his table or at the table, and will come up and wait on them. Wow. If you're a waiter or waitress, pretty cool job. Think about it. Think of this, right? Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them, so blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Wow. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 18.8, When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, make sure you are trusting Jesus to the end. Amen. Peter says to him, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? Well, I think it's to them because he said little flock a little bit earlier. Uh, But, you know, that's for believers. Verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is a faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. That's heavy. Who's going to give out rations? King James, give out meat in due season. The ones who love him. The ones who keep their love lamps lit. Jesus said when he restored Peter from denying him three times, he says, Peter, if you love me, what? Feed my sheep. Amen. Verse 45. But if that slave says in his heart, that same slave that's giving out meat in due season, the same slave in the Greek, that same slave who's walking with Jesus, part of the little flock, that's who he's addressing. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Keep your love light lit. Amen. Keep it lit. How do you keep it lit? You stay in love with him. How do you stay in love with him? You stay in the word. Amen. Because there, it's there you read of his great love for you, amen? And, you see the, and it's there that you see the judgment that you deserve, right? And we look at the judgment you deserve, you see the great mercy he has on us. The Bible says we love him because he what? First loved, First loved us. So you need to keep reading his love letter, amen? That's, that's critical. And you need to remember how much you've been forgiven. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't think, man, yeah, I'm a great man. God should be happy to have me on his team, man. That's ridiculous, man. You've been saved by grace through faith. Continue to focus on the cross, what Jesus did for you, amen? That's critical, guys. Like the woman who came in, and Jesus had come in amongst a bunch of Pharisees, and this woman, a prostitute, comes in, and she falls on her knees, and she takes her long hair and begins to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. And they're like, thinking silently, if he knew who that woman was. Jesus lets them know, I know who she is, basically. He says, but I came in here, and you didn't give me anything to drink. You didn't wash my feet. But why has she done this? Jesus tells us. He was forgiven much, loves much. You want to stay in love with Jesus? Remember daily how much you've been forgiven. Remember what he's done for you. Remember he loved you first. Remember what he went through for you. The Bible says, when you look at the greatest sermon many believe ever preached, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Mount. It begins in chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. The very first beatitude. Blessed are the... Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Those Beatitudes are like entry points for candidates of the kingdom. What kind of disposition you have to have first. And then what you look like when you go in the door. And the poor in spirit, what's that mean? That, being poor in spirit is the opposite of being proud and arrogant. Being poor in spirit is someone who recognizes they're spiritually bankrupt. They recognize that they are sinners and they have nothing, they're poor spiritually, they have nothing whereby they can earn God's favor, that they deserve judgment. They confess their sins and they gladly throw themselves on the grace of the Lord before the cross saying, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, amen? amen. So they recognize their own depravity and his incredible goodness. And that's why I love it when Jesus says, tells us to pray, forgive us our sins, but he also says, forgive us our debts. We are in debt to God. There's Thousands of times you've sinned that you haven't given the righteousness that God deserves in return for who he is in creating you. And you've amassed this incredible debt. But what happens? Remember the parable of the unmerciful servant? And we don't have time to get into that, but how much debt was he forgiven? Does anybody remember? 10,000 talents. 10,000 was the biggest number you could write in Greek. That's when it talks about all these angels that can't be numbered. It says 10,000 times 10,000. And talent was the biggest numeration of money. So Jesus takes the biggest number that they knew, could write down, and the biggest denomination of money and puts them together to show how big that debt was. It's like an infinite debt. You might say, it's like the biggest number. It's like we'd say a gazillion, you know, right? Or a couple hundred thousand years of wages. Or a, a thousand, a, 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 one talent was, I've said this before, about took a, your lifetime you'd amass about the worth of a talent, the labor, 10,000 talents would be like 10,000 a lifetime. Couldn't pay it off. He's forgiven, you guys. Of course, he goes and strangles a guy that owes him just 100 denarii, and then he's thrown, he loses his forgiveness because he didn't have that first love. He was probably really grateful when he was first forgiven, Right? But then he starts to become angry at the guy that just owes him a hundred How many of you have been forgiven? You know Jesus, but you're angry at somebody and you won't let it go. And Jesus has done something way beyond in forgiving you than he's asking you in forgiving them. And if you have the love of God in your heart and you're abiding in his love and your love lamp is lit, you're going to want to forgive. Joe, but I, I, I want to, but I, I... Focus on the cross. Say, God, have mercy on me. God, let me love them with which... The love with which you've loved me. Amen. Because on the cross, Jesus said, to tell us die. And that's a, the Greek word means what? You remember? Paid in full. He paid for our debt on the cross. What an awesome, awesome God we have. Hallelujah. And, brothers and sisters, you have to keep this in mind. When he went to the cross, it wasn't like he just died physically, he went through such spiritual pain, he went through enormous pain. The debt that we owe is not just not what we get. It's what we owe. He owes us wrath. Amen. Amen. On the cross, he went through incredible agony and pain. Amen. Read Psalm 22. It's a depiction of Jesus on the cross, the pain that he was in. That's what we deserve in hell. We deserve to be separated from God, right? For eternity. Was Jesus, Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was separated from his Father in some mysterious way. As the wrath of God came upon him, the displeasure of the Father that we deserved fell on him for us. Darkness. We should be in outer darkness forever. What did it become from 12 to 3 p.m.? Dark. He bore the hell we deserve on the cross. Remember the rich man in Hades? Send Lazarus over Have him dip his finger in water, stick it in my tongue. I'm, I'm, I'm in such thirst in this flame. Jesus on the cross... Cries out, I thirst. The wicked seem to be mocking each other in hell. In in, in Isaiah 14, it speaks of Lucifer. and It could also refer to the king. That they rise up against him when he's in the pit and say, this is the man who made the world like a wilderness? He's like a worm. On the cross, Jesus became like a worm. I am a worm and not a man. Just defenseless. I mean, he could have called 12 legions, but he didn't use those defenses. And he was being mocked by the two thieves, although one repented, by the soldiers, by the Jewish leaders, all mocking him. He took the mocking that we deserve. All the stuff that we deserve and that we don't even understand, he bore for us. Look at the cross. Look at what Jesus went through for you. Amen? And recognize that you are Mephibosheth. Okay? That you are Mephibosheth. And I'm sorry, we went long and we got to, I love you guys. When we do announcements, we got to shorten the announcements up. Because I'm not, I, I, I got to leave my message behind if we go way too long on announcements. It's not John. John has some heavy stuff we talked about to share, so I love John. But all the guys that are doing announcements, we got to shorten up to just a few minutes long. Because if it goes 10, 12 minutes, and I, I go, and I'm like, man, I'm skipping a bunch of stuff as it is, you know. But anyway, uh, and then we also uh, need to... Uh, between worship and the greeting, let's make our greeting maybe two, three minutes, right? Instead of seven or eight minutes. Because guess what? After service, guess what we all do? We all greet each other. That way it's not always on me. Okay. Okay. I'm just bending, bending a little bit, you know, just tighten everything up, you know. And then mostly it's on me though. So I take credit for that. But, uh, you guys, Jesus bore it off for us. Amen. He loves us so much. And, uh, because uh, I, 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 give, I give myself five minutes grace and my five minutes grace just ran out. But in two, three minutes we'll be done. Let's pass out the communion.